This episode's guest is Jason Fairheller from Function and Strength. When Jason began his training career, he had an interest in developing athletic speed and power. And over the past decade, that interest has turned into a passion. In addition to training, Jason has lectured on strength and conditioning as an adjunct professor at Immaculata University. Jason has been sought out for his knowledge and application for speed and power development and has also been featured on several podcasts talking about his concept, multi-directional power. He's also contributed articles on speed training as well as taught the course, Functional Speed Training for the Fitness Professional and Healthcare Provider. On this episode, Jason and I discuss many topics. Jason gives us his background. Jason tells us how he got involved coaching street hockey. Jason shares his insights into multi-directional power development. I asked Jason how he structures training sessions at strength and function. We discuss the transfer of training. Jason talks about vestibular training. I asked Jason, what is a plyometric? I asked Jason if he could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who'd he invite and why? And finally, I asked Jason for his top and current reading recommendations. Guys, this was a great episode with Jason and I hope you really enjoy it. Jason, my man, thank you so much for making time today. I do really appreciate it. And also because I fucked up yesterday, you were like, yeah, are we still on today? And I was like, oh, Alex, I never, I never confirmed that, but uh, here yeah, we are. I, I knew you, you check your email about once every two or three weeks. So I didn't know if it was just <laughs> missed somewhere in that three week period or something like that. Or like two or three months. Um, no, listen, really do appreciate it. It's great to have you on the podcast. I've listened to some of your previous conversations with Lee Taft and Mike Robertson. Um, and I feel you have a lot to contribute to the listeners of this podcast. But let's get into your background um, and let's uh, tell the listeners more about you. All right. Well, just like any other strength coach, I was uh, an athlete growing up. But the thing that really kind of, when, when I went to college, I played baseball in college at a small division three school, University of Scranton, right where the office is. I don't know if you've ever seen the show. Um, but anyway, when I got there, as I started taking more classes and stuff, it really made me kind of think like, how do we reach someone's true potential? And it, early on, you know, as a coach, you always think it's like strength development. Now I'm kind of going more of like speed development, but the reality is it's a combination of all those things, but learning how to coach and, you know, really being a good coach and understanding what someone needs is what will get someone to that point of really reaching their potential. So kind of going back a little bit, uh, the couple guys that I have a gym with right now, Ryan Heikert and Marty Toms, we all worked together for a while. And one day we decided, you know what, we're just going to go do our own thing. We were at a personal trade, excuse me, a personal training facility at the time. And we wanted to get back to training athletes. We all kind of done that before. So we opened up our gym, Function Strength. It'll be five years in November. And here we are. So just gives a little more background too into your coaching career. So like sports you've coached, levels of athletes, because as I said to you just before I got online, listening to your conversation with Lee yesterday, you know, you did the strength conditioning for the men and women's USA street hockey teams, which when I heard that, I was like, street hockey? Like I, I kind of love uh, when I hear coaches who kind of work with sort of out there sports. Not that street hockey's out there, but, you know, to me, like, I often think of sports like, you know, ultimate frisbee or surfing or, you know, and when you hear those sports initially, you're kind of like, because they're so, I was going to use the word fringe. It's not that they're fringe, just that they're not as popular or as well known as the likes of soccer, American football, you know, these more global type sports. Well, American football is not global, but like it's, it's globally well known. But um, yeah, tell us a little more about your coaching career and the, the street hockey. I find that very fascinating. So I always played baseball and hockey growing up. I, I played some ice hockey, but I, I played a lot of like deck or ball hockey. You can use whatever different word. And it's always funny when people ask like, well, do you use like, a, is it like field hockey? I'm like, no, it's like all the same rules of hockey, but you're running, you're not skating. Like, well, can you check? I'm like, well, in, unless you're in the NHL or college, you're not allowed to check anyway. So no, it's literally all the same exact rules, but you're just running. So how I got into that, like I always played and, you know, there's 
kind of big tournaments on the East coast of the U S and my wife actually was asked to try out for the, the women's team for the U S. So that's what kind of got me involved in first. I was just kind of like, you know what, I'm just going to offer it up. I know someone had done this before, but I got into it. Uh, I went to some of their, their training camps and it was great. And then eventually I, I worked with the men's and women's team. And, and I, as I mentioned this to you, it's really interesting because everything you need as far as speed work can be applied to this because since it is a, like a full rink, it's not like a, a shorter rink, you're going to need top end speed development. But because you're changing directions and it's very chaotic, you're still going to need all of the other movement patterns that you would normally have. So I try to introduce some of the, the speed work and the patterns of stuff during some training camps and then kind of just, you know, give them drills to do on, on their own and practice as much as they can along with, yeah, then just their continued strength work that I would give them. Yeah, great stuff. So you have spoken previously about this concept of multidirectional power development. And this seems to be sort of your baby, if you like. It seems to be where a lot of your cognitive abilities have been going to over the last period of time. I know you've spoken to Lee about it and Mike Robertson about it on uh, on their podcasts. So maybe just get into why you've started to spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about this area of physical development, this multidirectional power development. Um, and then maybe some ways of, is there possible ways of assessing like where an athlete is with regards to their development of this type of quality? And then how would you train these qualities or quality or qualities within multidirectional power development? Like how does that look on a day-to-day basis? All right, so this is going to be a really big, long answer. So I'm going to try to explain the idea behind it first, and then we can kind of get into some of that other stuff. So before understanding what multidirectional plyos is, you have to understand what the patterns of multidirectional speed are. So someone can perform a split step where they're basically in a parallel stance. They step backwards before going forward. Think of someone playing tennis, and then they charge the net during like a parallel stance, and then they go to sprint forward. Someone's going to go into a lateral shuffle. You'd see that a lot in like basketball or, or things with like a, a shorter kind of field or a shorter court. A lateral run or what some people would term a crossover run where you're kind of your shoulders are square to someone, but your hips are running laterally along with them. And then I'll even add in like semicircle running, um, a retreating work, like a hip turn where you have to reposition your body to go backwards. So if we understand those patterns and we break down, all right, where do we want power to actually happen when we see someone doing those sports? And it's when they do the linking stick skills of those things. So if I have someone going laterally and then they have to go backwards, when they punch into the ground to then go backwards, that's where we want power to be. If someone if starts in that parallel stance and they need to go forward, that's where they want that power to be. And when we look at what is like a typical power program, there's a ton of bilateral work and that that's great and should be involved in, in some stuff. And the unilateral work is a lot of what I would term like forced development power where it's like jump and stick, but go as far as you can, but not as much time is spent on unilateral minimizing ground contact type exercises. And that's where I kind of get into more of the multi-directional plyometric stuff. So what I mean by that is instead of just jumping straight ahead or jumping straight to the side or straight up in the air, incorporate all angles of movement, depending on kind of the speed pattern you want to develop, figure out a plyometric drill where maybe they jump up. If I'm at a clock, clock, 12 o'clock straight in front of me, maybe they go to two o'clock and then back to the middle where they go from two o'clock to straight back behind them. And those are all different patterns that you would see on the field. And I'm a big fan of doing something rehearsed and then slowly starting to implement more chaotic stuff into it. I think if you just expect someone to get better, you know, in these positions, just doing them on the field, you're missing some of the point because they might not have the capabilities. They might be lacking something physically that's not allowing them to react as well on the field. So that's kind of where that all started. 
And, you know, I, I kind of developed a, a little bit of a program for it where, you know, I focus on what I would call like owning the movement, which means they have to be consistent in their jumps. And it doesn't matter if it is, you know, a jump and stick the landing. They should be consistent when they do that because I think that helps develop strength in a certain position. But they also need to be consistent. If I were to say, all right, I want you to, to jump forward, back to the middle, jump back, back to the middle. And just kind of alternate legs as you do that. I would term that a speed skater. Can they actually hit their foot in the same exact position you want them to every time? So here's an example of they know where they should go. They know exactly when they should do it, but are they capable of it? And if you ask someone to do that super fast in the very beginning, they're not going to be consistent with where their foot strikes the ground. And then if we look at the field, all right, they may know where they need to go. They know when they need to do it if they react well, but then are they capable of punching the foot exactly where they need to, to get the angle on someone to make whatever play they're trying to do. And kind of that's a, a general rundown of kind of how I would go about doing multi-directional plyometrics with someone. What does that process look like more so with a beginner? Because again, if they're from just a basic biomotor standpoint of just strength development, if they're weak, how much time then are you sort of dedicating to this multi-directional power slash plyometric development? Like if they have a deficiency in like an underlying strength quality, because again, you know, they, they won't be able to express, or you would imagine they won't be able to express you know, a significant amount of power and then rate of force development in these certain angles, you know, if, if, if that's all you were doing, that would just be my thought process. So like with beginners, like, like, is it a case of you train like all qualities at all times, but you just might emphasize what this particular athlete in front of you at that given time needs. So if they are someone's a bit weak, yeah, we'll still do more quote unquote strength work or what, whatever, whatever means you're going to use to develop force output but we're still going to teach these sort of angles that but so by the time that they can express the force that their body is more efficient in these patterns. Does that make sense? Yes. And that's an awesome question. So I think, you know, when we're talking about strength and utilizing the strength someone has to create better movement and even more powerful movement, they have to be strong through their hips typically, but they also have to be strong through their feet. So you know, first you have to figure out what is the weakness of that person. Now, I'm a, a big fan of the Dan John Pavel easy strength method of just doing something consistently over a long period of time to develop strength. So in every warm up, we'll spend about like five minutes bare feet just doing extensive plyos. And a lot of them for someone who's weaker, I would typically start bilateral. But the end goal is always doing unilateral plyos. And I think when we talk about strength, unilateral strength has to be our focus and specifically relative body strength, because you have to be able to handle your own body weight in all these positions. When someone's going into a cut, their levels of strength and the angles of cut and, and the angle of the cut, as well as their speed going into it, dictate their positioning going into that. So, I mean, that's just a good way to assess what someone might need. Now, if I have someone who is on the weaker side, as you said, I'll do more stuff where it's more of a focus on a jump and a stick instead of just, you know, focusing on always like minimizing ground contact. If I had them, I'll just use an example. If I have someone three days a week and they're relatively weak, two days are, are going to be like those force days where they're going to jump and stick and I'm going to try to improve positional strength. But I still, I never want to get away from trying to improve that pop off the ground. And it can be as simple as just pogo jumps to start off. It doesn't have to be something crazy. And, you know, if we think about how do we progress any sort of jumping exercise, the eccentric load that someone's going to face is pretty much going to determine the level of the difficulty of the drill. So... You know, you can progress some of this stuff by going up to a box where they're going to the ground. You can do it the other way where they're jumping up to a box and then coming back down. So it, it is all kind of up to you as the coach to figure out what the person needs. But you're absolutely right. There, there still has to be some strength development. And we still go through a, a typical strength program just like we would with anyone else. 
but our end goal is always going to be the speed side of it where the strength work just assists what we see from their speed work just you mentioned extensive plyos there just could you get into that a little more what what, what does that actually look like because i i've seen the term used and i've seen people say these are extensive plyos uh, is it and also too just in terms of the categorization here with regards to jumps bounds and hops how are you defining those as well so just for me like a jump is two feet two feet bound alternating feet and then a hop is same same foot to same foot or same leg same leg is that the same with you as well and, the and same just, exact yep same exact yeah. terminology just just yeah. just so it's you know clear for people listening because yep. so you often because you often hear people say oh hurdle hops and they're talking about jumps like there you, you see yes. the video yeah. those jumps but uh and then what are your extensive plyos what are they consistent of so it's a lot of single leg work and i would consider extensive plyos low amplitude moderate volume so they're, they're not getting high off the ground. I still want a focus of a stiff foot when they hit the ground, but I don't want it to be where they're really like kind of going up super high every time. Like I don't want to burn them out for, you know, what they're going to be doing, but I want them to be able to, to do it all the time so we can still kind of develop that strength over a long period of time. So what it would look like, and I'll kind of change this up every few months, is Hops either side to side, front to back, all different sorts of angles, either traveling forward, traveling backwards. Maybe you go further forward, then you go back and you kind of keep doing that or further to the side as you go, go back. So kind of like lateral to medial, or maybe you go further lateral, then you go medial each time. So you keep on working your way out to a position. And, you know, as we do that, I'm trying to, to just put their foot in all different positions where I'm challenging pronation i'm challenging supination to develop foot strength in all different angles and positions as i mentioned before unless their foot is strong enough to handle the load at whatever angle you are you know you're either going to totally like lose force and get stuck into your cut or you're i don't want to say like it's going to cause injury but it, it could you know depending on the way you plant your foot you know you've seen i don't know if you watch the nfl at all but this weekend, tons and tons of ACLs, hamstrings, all of these different things. And it's probably due to like lack of actual development from their off season because of COVID. Um, no, that, that makes a ton of sense. What comes to my mind is Dan Pfaff's uh, Rudiment series. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's, it's similar to that. I've kind of taken that. I've taken some, some stuff from some other people. And I mean, no one's inventing new stuff at this point in the game you're just kind of merging a bunch of stuff from a lot of different people for yeah sure. but it, it, it you know just stepping back and thinking about it logically and you know if, if anyone knows anything about like the sensory motor system like or the sensory motor cortex in the brain like there's a large cortical map on your foot like like there is in your hand so by doing all those different types of variations of jumps particularly barefooted or or minimal sort of footwear on it, it does make sense that that's kind of you know developing a larger cortical map which again could only be a good thing in terms of like allowing for greater skill acquisition to occur in sport. Like, but um, just maybe, I don't know if you can, if it's a case study or if it's a general sort of overview, if I was to walk into your facility, what would the flow of that session look like? And I know like the, the answer always will start with, well, it depends again on the individual training age, sport, injury history, where they are currently, Blah 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 blah. Yeah. But um, uh, like just obviously there's some sort of framework or system that you would utilize. So like, is it, you know, like again, you kind of described your extensive plyos there, but is it a warm up and what does that warm contain? Do you like to have lots of multi-directional movement, planes of motion? Do you use it? At, do you use it as a movement assessment? Are you one of those types of coaches? Like uh, I know there's some coaches that like to have a very standard like ABC warm up, and the reason why they kind of stick to that even though it can be quite boring is because it's like a movement check every day. It's like the pit stop for the, for the FM or for the 41 car. Whereas other coaches are like, no, we do something different almost every day. Again, more so for like this cortical mapping in the brain and to give the body as much exposure to different movements. And then they move into like their, their power blocks, which is plyo and med ball. And, you know, then if it's their actual power development, strength development and energy systems or whatever. But uh, I hate even using the word power because it's such a catch all term because 
you could get into like such rabbit holes of different power type developments but what, what does that look like so the kind of the session structure and um yeah i'll leave it at that i have another question but that's enough for now for your brain to to consume all right so our sessions are, are 90 minutes so that allows us to do pretty much everything that we would want to do and not feel like we have to cut anything short at any point so athlete comes in they take their shoes off we go through some foot stuff where they might do some like slant board holds at like four different positions, depending on um, their ability, you know, they're balancing on, have something in, in their hands to kind of hold on to, but ideally they're not. And then the angle, the slant is going to change based off of their ability too. Um, they might spend some time balancing on a PVC pipe on a single leg where I'm just trying to get them to like, hook their toes around it where their heels just like floating in the air to just develop that kind of foot strength in that transverse arch position. And then the warm up, we have some sensory motor stuff taken from like Pat Davidson and, and Bill Hartman. So we'll put people in like a 90, 90 position and we'll just do a, a couple different things with that. And then, um, I don't know, I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Gray at all, the physical therapist, so we do some. Oh, Gary oh yeah, Gray. yeah. I'm I'm familiar with Gary and and like uh, the good Lord brought today. <laughs> yes. So that's funny. Um, yeah, I, I started. Lee Taft introduced me to to some of his stuff, and and I love it because of how like just by reaching in different positions while being in like a, a lunge position, you know, a single leg kind of like RDL position, all these different things you're working all these different parts of the feet, you're working internal, external rotation of the hip, and everything is kind of, as Gary terms it, like from the ground up, like a chain reaction of how your foot position is going to lead to everything else up the chain. Then I'll go through, you know, a dynamic warm up. It is pretty standard. Like if we have someone coming in for the summer, they'll do the same warm up the whole summer. Um, I think it saves a lot of time. And as I mentioned before, with like the the Dan John Pavel idea of easy strength. I pick things that I want them specifically to do that I think everyone should get better at over the course of, of a summer or like a three month training session. And in that warm up, it's going to be, you know, prepping them for either change of direction work and also some linear speed work. There's a little bit in, of both of those things. So no matter what, how many days a week they're coming in, they're always getting a little bit of that stuff all the time. Now, how we start to go into our speed work, and that would be next, is I'll pick a movement pattern that I want to work on that day. And I'll, I'll put like a couple drills up that, that maybe we'll do. But really, the drills are all dependent upon how people move. So you mentioned like doing an assessment. Like every movement someone does is the assessment. You know, is, is someone super slow getting out of the turn is someone not able to to push off well on their you know on one foot and i'll give a quick example of that let's say someone's doing a lateral shuffle they they push off the outside leg their inside leg kind of repositions turns to the side and strikes the ground all right if someone doesn't do that second step that repositioning step well where they pull themselves with the front leg then I might have them go onto a small box because as they, they push off, that's going to allow a little bit more time for them to push off onto the ground in order to get over that box. And that's just kind of how our coaches do it, where there is some set stuff, but it really is determined about what the athlete is doing or the group of athletes. And we do everything in kind of pretty small groups here. So it's easy to, to kind of manage some individual stuff between people. Then after that, we'll go into some plyo work. And that's typically some sort of change in direction, like multi-directional plyo, also some linear plyos in there. I do a ton of rotational med ball throws. And very similar to the lower body plyos I'll do, I'll do upper body plyos the same fashion, whereas either I'm trying to throw the bar, the ball as far as I can or getting max distance per throw, or I'm trying to do it rapid fire with an idea of almost like minimizing hand contact time. Think of if I'm doing like a plyo push-up, people think of plyo push-ups where they like go all the way to the ground 
and they come up and they clap, but that's a super long time your hands are on the ground. What it should be is almost like a jump, like a pogo jump with your hands, you know, hitting the ground and punching back up. Think of like an offensive lineman, you know, as they're like hand fighting with someone on the line in the NFL, they're going to need that super quick punch back and forth. They're not going to have time certain points to like really just push out, you know, because they're, they're hand fighting and they're going to have to reposition their hand. Then we'll go into our strength work. I mean, pretty standard strength stuff, nothing crazy. And then our conditioning stuff, we do a ton of like our conditioning just based off of Joel Jameson's conditioning methods. And that's a, a pretty simple rundown of, of how we'll go about it. I do want to go back. Once we go into the speed work, as the, the sessions go on and as time goes on and they get better at, at linking those skill, skills together, I talked about improving power of those linking skills of the movement patterns. That's when we'll start to introduce some of the multi-directional plyos into the actual speed work where, all right, the person's moving well, but I want them to practice putting more force into the ground. I might have them do a plyo drill working the same planes, the same angles, and then go right into the drill after that. Just, I, I, I know you've mentioned this too in your conversation with Lee. Um, and like it, logically, it, it like, it, you know, the, I understand the schema, like the, the system and the layout, like it, it does make sense. And I've done, cause I've done it myself too. Um, you, you know, you described that, that idea too with the med balls that kind of one day is more of a, a heavier quote unquote like max effort day and then the next day is more of like a elastic dynamic quote unquote dynamic day you know if you're if you're nerdy think about it in that sort of west side method you know you have a, a heavier more force oriented day versus a more lighter dynamic effort type day and you were kind of saying you, you you kind of utilize that too with the med ball work as well and i don't know if you did say this but you like people also do that with plyos like you know on acceleration days with longer ground contacts maybe it's more bound orientated work because the ground contacts are longer and the med ball throws are more single you know one all out efforts for that kind of transfer to more acceleration and then it's more max effort stuff work in the weight room and then conversely if it's more of a max velocity day they might do more sort of rapid you know ground contact plyos more vertical emphasis rather than horizontal say on an acceleration day and the med ball stuff is again more rapid and then the weight room work might be more sort of dynamic type based movements it's kind of like also's kind of had that met uh, that, that sort of methodology as well or that sort of layout but i suppose the, the one thing that i've kind of matured in terms of my questioning as i've gotten older as a coach as i've matured over the years as a coach the, the sort of the thought process that I'm, I'm I'm coming to more now when it comes to trainers, I was asking like, well, why? Like, like while like a lot of this stuff is lovely and it makes sense when you kind of say it like that, it's kind of like, but how do I really know what I'm doing is really getting that person closer to the angle? Like, first of all, how do I know that what I'm giving them as a stimulus is what they need? And then secondly, how do I know that, that stimulus is even transferring into their sport? So like they're just thoughts that I currently always have, you know, it's kind of like just when people are doing things like a power lock press because it's anti-rotation and it's kind of like when you're a young coach, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense because, you know, we don't want too much rotation spine. It's kind of like, but like, how do we know? Do you, do you know how to get that? Yeah. Yes. And then it's that, I mean, th- it's just like, how do that, we know exactly what, what any, what we're doing? Yeah. Like, I suppose like it's, it's like fucking what's life about how did it all start and you could just keep going why 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 until it's like well really everything is just subjective at the end of the day like everything is because you can just keep going back to the question of why 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 and like physics and math can only go so far because they still can't explain how the universe starts so at the end of the day you're always going to end up on some subjective answer but that's just kind of like i understand like your method of like having sort of a heavier force oriented day versus more maybe uh, a lighter ground reactive elastic type day but it's just I know that you two have a big sort of interest in transfer of training, and it's just kind of like where what's so this whole I'm gonna wrap up this whole ramble of mine of just saying like what's your thoughts on transfer of training? I think ultimately you you have to to try to break down the movements that you see in the sport and get them as close as possible. So let's just use the med ball throws you talked about as an example, and I mentioned before 
the the speed at which someone goes into a cut the angle of the cut and their strength is going to dictate you know how they come out of that so if someone's using a very heavy loaded med ball and we do a rotational throw ultimately that's going to try to to mimic the same force they would have if they would go super hard into a cut at a at a very sharp angle because they're going to be in that cut a little bit longer they can't be quite like a springy going into that on the other end of the spectrum, let's just use a basketball player as an example, as they're going like side to side super fast, but only maybe one step in a cut, they're going to need almost like a much quicker movement of their rotation and their torso. So it's kind of like that quick chop, almost like the fake throw variations and different stuff like that, where you are kind of stopping and then, you know, going another direction or, or quickly throwing it back to the wall. And that's it. Like those are kind of how I would break that those things down. And by no means am I saying that if people don't do that, then it's wrong. But that's just the reasoning why I would do that stuff. I'm trying to to think of the movements that I'm seeing and figure out how I can make athletes better at all of those things. Yeah, no, that, that listen, that makes perfect sense too. I mean, if anyone is aware of Verkajansky's dynamic correspondence criteria. I mean, I think that's a really good place to start in terms of trying to get as much transfer out of a particular uh, means to a particular sport. I suppose the the follow up to that is, although it is very important to to be aware of like the biomechanical demands as well as like the bioenergetics and whatnot of the sport. Um. It's, I suppose the follow-up question is, how do you know that that specific athlete is deficient in this quality? You know, So let's say, again, you have that basketball player and you're like, well, basketball, you, know, you don't get into those deeper angles, so this is why we're executing the shuffle or the lateral play this way as opposed to maybe a rugby player or a tennis player who gets down a little bit lower into that lateral angle so they get into deeper joint angles. So like, while that makes beautiful sense when you're just looking at the biomechanics as a sport but then taking the individual you were like yeah but that individual already is like really good at that but they're not good at this do you know so i'm kind of like there is that sport diagnostic criteria but then there's that sort of athletic we've got to take the athlete into two so kind of going from that general sport to athlete one i suppose it's just it's trying it's like the sf main early the way they like they try and like filter yeah, break, break it down yeah, break keep it down, breaking break it down, down breaking it down yeah. breaking it down it's similar to my pro- I know, i'm just thinking out loud here because to be honest my head hasn't been in sports performance for the last while it's been more in just general science and physiology so it's nice kind of refreshing yourself into more kind of human performance sports so sports oriented questions but i did go through a period where like just transfer training was huge and i suppose the two biggest influences there were the dynamic correspondence by verkashansky and then i really do love bonnerchuk's uh, classification criteria of exercises i think that's another good way to go about it i just think then you gotta also take the actual athlete themselves like where they are in their career because again <clears throat> you could have an athlete for instance just given that given that example again I think that's a beautiful example that you did give, though, in terms of the, you know, so one athlete might need a heavier med ball because maybe they get into deeper joint angles and it's a longer ground contact versus another athlete where their lateral movement is more kind of shallow, poppy sort of ground contact. But it's just like, again, if the athlete is already good in that movement and at expressing force or the qualities you want in that specific biomechanical model, it's just kind of like, okay, then, you know, it's just kind of like, are we wasting time here now? what's the next what's the next sort of rung up the ladder or in that athletic pyramid where should we be aiming now a lot of times it could be just this person just needs to play more or sport their their physical attributes are pretty pretty good you know so it's just these are just thoughts i have because i know you're big on skill acquisition and transfer training and um i won't forget your vestibular question but just uh, you i'm not asking questions here i'm just having more thoughts thrown out and seeing what you've thought as well so it's funny because i asked ty tyrell i had him on a podcast and I asked him this question. I said, all right, you, you train a ton of basketball players that are very elastic. Do you want them or how do you train them in terms of like the force velocity curve as far as like, do you try to just keep on working the velocity end of the spectrum? Do you go back and work the force end of the spectrum, even though basketball isn't that? And ultimately like, yes, the always, the answer is always, it depends. But he said it, if someone's super fast already, then I'll go back to that like 70 to 85% range in the force velocity curve. 
because ultimately like if, if yeah, they have a ton of elasticity, it's going to be hard to keep on improving that elastic strength. Then we would need more of like a force output kind of strength model. But I think the answer is watch athletes move in a reactive fashion, however you want it to do. Yeah. Drop a tennis ball, record them on your phone and just watch them move when they're not thinking about what they should do and put them in different scenarios where it's like yesterday I was training some hockey kids and I was just like, all right, you're going to have your back to me. And on my clap, I just want you to, to turn and sprint to me. I didn't tell them how I wanted them to execute the hip turn or anything like that. And then it's like, all right, well, some kids are just slow. You know, they did it well, but they just lack kind of that pop off the ground. Some kids totally just didn't even do it right. They just totally like curled around in a, like a semicircle before they took off. And then based off of what you see with that athlete, then you kind of pick the drill that you think would best benefit them. It's like, what are all the faults they have? All right, this one's the worst. Let's, let's figure out this one first. And then ultimately, if someone doesn't have many faults, then you're just going to not get them hurt. You know, don't do anything stupid with them. But then, yeah, you stay in that like 75 to 85% range with their, their strength stuff. And another thing I like to do is if I'm doing speed work, specifically like acceleration and max speed work, and I heard this from another coach, Ryan Hopkins, you match the amplitude of the Olympic lift to what you're doing that day. So if he's doing any sort of max speed work, he's going to do primarily like high hang position to start. Whereas if he's doing acceleration work, it's going to be a longer amplitude. It's probably going to be like from the ground. That might be a day where he does like power snatches from the ground or something like that. And it's all of these little things that add up to, to being a better coach, to giving the athlete what they need. Now, it's, it's easy for me in a setting where I have a few kids at a time. If you have a team, then you have to figure out kind of what does the team need in general. And I think for the most part, every team in every sport can benefit from better speed development more than just about anything else. So if speed is your ultimate goal, you know, you figure out the strength work that they would need to get better at at their speed, you know, the plyos that they would need to get better at their speed. And depending on their training age and, and their sport and all these other factors, that determines what you would do. Yeah, no, I've, again, I've, I've had all these thoughts before in terms of like the really elastic reactive athlete. You know, it's kind of like, do you fill more? There's, it's kind of like the bucket question, you know, which one of their buckets is, you know, needs to be filled a little more. And a lot of the times, if you do have those really elastic reactive athletes, like a basketball player, you do see oftentimes that their strength bucket is quite empty. And although they are quite elastic, reactive, and, expl- and, and explosive in that regard, the fact that they have such deficiency in their strength or force output capabilities could leave them more at risk for injury. Because some coaches say, well, what's the point in developing their strength? Because they're grand, like they're elastic reactive on the core. It's nearly more so of an, an, an insurance kind of thing that there's enough strength to back up that elastic reactive capability. Because if you go back to that sort of Alvar Meal pyramid of development, you know, you have like your your work capacity, and I've kind of modified it over the years, like, but you have your work capacity and then like your body comp, hypertrophy, your general strength, your maximal strength, your explosive, your elastic reactive, and then your speed, multi-directional speed. And each sort of preceding quality is the foundation for each succeeding quality as you go up in that sort of athletic development hierarchy. And, you know, Cressy had that, you know, the, and it's not Eric's, but Eric has that video that everyone fucking links to, you know, the strength and speed continuum. And he's kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're more on that speed end, you probably need to be more at the strength end regards to your general training and then vice versa. If you're more like strength and your rate of force development, and you know explosive or elastic reactive outputs pretty crappy you need to be more towards a speed end of that continuum so i've heard that you know discussion the discussion made as well and i've often heard the discussion too that if it's more of a force development day you know it's acceleration it's longer ground contacts it's more horizontal in terms of direction and then the olympic lifts are usually yeah they're from the ground because of deeper angles and then if it's a more sort of top max velocity day upright running the, you know, it's, the plyos would be more vertical orientated, shorter ground contacts, and then any of the Olympic lifts are just done is more from that hang, shallower angles. 
and again, I'm just kind of saying like, you know, when people say all these things, like, oh, it makes so much sense. It's, you know, it's, but again, I'm just, I was like, but I, you know, I just don't think we were measuring enough. That's it. Like, and then maybe there's just some things we can't measure either. And again, like, it's kind of like I, I say all this and then we get to kind of like the answer is like, we just won't know because my whole thing is like in a team sport where it's so chaotic, there's so many variables out in the field. Like James Smith right now would just be rolling his eyes again, just going like all that shit doesn't really matter. Like once they get to a competent level of all these physical abilities, again going back to like the the buyer motor qualities and the buyer energetics, you know, when you get out to that field, it's more like technical, tactical, and psychological are far more important because the physical bucket is probably the easiest one out of those four to develop. Again, Absolutely. And yeah. again, it's 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 it's. I think we uh, obsess about it so much because it's 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 the easiest one out of all four to measure. To you know, it's so easy to get metrics on. Oh, look, your trap bar has gone up twenty kilo. Your chin ups went from fucking, you know what I mean, ten to fifteen, and you know your push ups are gone up. And not that they're shitty tests. Like use the examples, but you know what I mean. A max, a max trap bar, Olympic lift, vertical jump, whatever it is, they're easy. A yo yo test, they're all easy to measure and they're objective. Whereas, like, it's it's hard to measure if someone's tactical, you know, awareness has gotten better out in the field or their their acquisition or, and again, as we know, skill acquisition, that changes moment to moment because of the environment and the task that the organism is asked to do. Like, it's rainy, it's windy. I had an argument. I didn't sleep last night. My glucose is off. I have an opponent that's shutting off my yeah. affords, my affordances here. So, there's just so many things like to to consider. Career though, you give me any thoughts you want on my ramblings there, but make sure then you talk about uh, your thoughts on some vestibular training stuff too that you wanted to touch on before we got online. So I don't know if you have anything else to add there to that of my little ramblings there. You know, it's like you, you train all these athletes and you measure all these things and, and they get better at all of them. And then you go out and you watch a kid that doesn't work out at all crush everybody else. And that's what ruins everything, Right. So I think it's just like, we know that, that doing some of this stuff is probably going to help. Like if someone gets faster and stronger, they're probably going to, to get better. Like that allows them to have a quality that they didn't previously have that should help them. But like you said, so, so much of the game is understanding the game. And so NHL playoffs came back on like a month ago. And another guy I work with, Ryan, who he, he's a, a hockey player, he said, it, it drives me crazy when someone says, like, they can't follow the puck, like some, a fan. And I thought, like, yeah, of course. But they don't know, like, they can't predict where it's going because they have no frame of reference if they've never seen hockey before where it's going to go. And it's that idea of, you know, that's kind of one end of the spectrum and then the person who's totally dominating is at the other end of the spectrum. And how do you measure any of that? Right. You, and I don't, I don't understand. Here's the thing too. You can have a, a group of guys. They all play the same amount of games from the time they're six years old to the time they're 18 years old on the same team. Some get better. Some don't, you know, we're just trying our best out here. I think that that's it. You can only do that. What I did want to talk to you about was uh, some of the vestibular work. And I'll tell you how I kind of got into this. My wife's a physical therapist. She treats a ton of concussion patients. Because of COVID, she couldn't go to a university to do a lecture on it. So she had to film it from home. And I was kind of the guinea pig doing all these concussion vestibular tests that, that she was running me through. And it really made me think. And, and, and she had me like, jumping and moving side to side as I'm trying to like track my eyes in different positions, you know, diagonal up and down, you know, read the, the first letter, the last letter on this line and, and go back and forth as you're doing other movements. And I was thinking th that is almost the perfect transition from totally chaotic work from rehearsed drills. So, and I, I did this with a goalie. I had him just do like a side shuffle and I had him do it in like a V pattern and then just, just track with his eyes, you know, side to side. I gave him different variations, but it was unbelievable how his quality of movement changed just by adding in a little visual tracking from what it was when he knew where he had to go. And now the scenario is he still knows exactly where he has to go. It's not the chaotic environment where the puck could go any position at any time, really. 
and he still was not able to do it super well. And then I'm thinking, if I have someone just go to a totally chaotic environment, they might be so overwhelmed that they can't even process what they're supposed to process. So doing stuff with, you know, turning your head and I've started doing this with some plyometrics too, where doing plyometrics where you're looking the opposite direction. If you're doing like a lateral bound, look the opposite direction that you have to go because in sport, we want them to execute movement well while their head is turning all different positions, reacting to, to different things. So this is kind of what I think the next step is in between the rehearsed drills and the totally chaotic reactive drills. Great stuff. Uh, how do you see a potential incorporation of that now with regards to the settings you have? Is, is that, are you thinking about this as something you're going to utilize in that sort of between warm-up and speed work sort of components of your sessions? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, just like anything else, the, there is, I, I have kind of like laid out some progressions for it as, you know, you could start with like movement with an eyes fixed position where they're just staring at the same thing the whole time. Then you add in, you know, what, whatever visual stimulus you want to, you know, it could be something simple, like just a very short tracking side to side. And then you make, might make the tracking a little bit further side to side. Then you might make it up and down diagonal. There are all different scenarios that you can kind of do this with. But if you just like the idea, if you start to do it regularly, they'll get used to it. And just ask someone to do this the first time, even if they're a really good mover, it's going to take reps to figure out. And you would think like, oh, they should be able to kill this because they're, you know, pretty good at, at doing this stuff. But it's funny how it just changes everything you do by just concentrating on something else a little bit. I have an interview coming out with Ryan Harrison from uh, Slow, is it Slow Down the Game? I think it's, I'll just double check that before we finish up. But he does a lot of work like with uh, visual training. Um, and there's just like, maybe he's someone that the listeners and yourself might be interested in looking into. I'll just double check that right now as we do this. Dr. Ron Harrison, I think it's slowed, slowed the game down. Am I right in saying that? Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I'd definitely be interested in checking some of that stuff out. Um, yep. Yeah, slow, slow the game down. Ryan Harrison. Um, his father, Bill, he was, uh, an autonomous, an up. I also said it wrong. Ophthalmic is the nerve up. Optometrist. I'm saying that wrong. An eye doctor. Do you know how to say Optometrist. Yeah. Optometrist. I just I'm just not pronouncing it right. Optometrist. I know I can say atomic nerve, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So his father was uh, was an eye doctor, and then Ryan worked with him, and his father's passed passed on. But um, Ryan still works has his own facility and still works with athletes. But I had an interview with him just about vision training because I think uh, I've, I had a very good conversation too on Joel Smith's podcast the Just Fly Performance podcast and a lot of our conversation that's centered around an appreciation for the sensory system. So obviously visual and vestibular were two big ones. Um, and it's just that, you know, a lot of stuff, say from the likes of Jay Schroeder, a lot of that is seems to just be like manipulation to of, you know, sensory input. Because that's really at the end of the day what it all is. Like it's it's input to, to, get, a, to get an output that you're looking for. Like strength training... Strength training is just one means to diminish neural inhibition. That's all you're trying to do. Because the more you can diminish neural inhibition, the more force your body will allow you to express. That's that's why that's why like some that's why you, you can only lift as much as you can because your body is it's a protective mechanism. It's like if I let you lift that, you're you're gonna tear the tendon. Um and that's just neural inhibition. So by more accumulated exposure you're trying to dampen down that neural inhibition and strength. This is the thing too, like strength training really is, uh, when we think of strength training, when we say we, most coaches or most people listen to this, they always think of resistance training. Like they think that you can only get strong by resistance training of barbells and dumbbells. Like that's what people think about strength training, but strength is a biomotor quality and resistance training is one way to develop the biomotor quality of strength. Like you can get strong, like sprinting, 
and jumping like there are other ways to diminish neural inhibition that's why when you bring like a sprinter into a weight room or a gymnast for instance who've never lifted weights and once they've learned the scale of a of a, of a resistance exercise you're like holy fuck they're strong because yep. their their actual nervous system is so well uh developed and that neural inhibition is is at such a sub-threshold level to most just average weight lift people are just going to lift weights like that they're already quite strong just once they've learned the skill like a lot of it too comes down to skill and capacities like when you look at an athlete in terms of well can they not execute that movement because is it a skill or a capacity issue which is something we could often talk about as well but um yeah vestibular and vision i think that's they're going to be big things they're going to be more appreciated things, I think, in the training of individuals. Because even if you think about, that was actually one thing I read up on depth jumps. Like people look at a depth jump and they, and they purely just think, oh, we're just developing elastic reactive capabilities to stretch reflex. It's a plyometric drill. But if you read some old R- Russian literature, they would say that's a vestibular drill. Because when you drop, you know, like the sound, like your vestibular system is actually like your the, the the parts of your vestibular system, your sacral and your your utricle, like uh, there and the semicircle canals. Even though that's more rot- angular rotation movement, but there to do with horizontal and vertical acceleration, the sacral and, and the uh, utricle of the vestibular system. So anytime you're doing like broad jumps or depth jumps or any type of vertical horizontal jumps, the vestibular system is being trained to a large degree as well. Like. So a lot of the old literature was saying that like not only are we training like these elastic capabilities from the ground reaction force, but vestibular is also being included here. That's why some people start doing like blindfolded stuff, jumping to 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 put more emphasis on the vestibular because you've taken away the primary sensory source, which is vision. Like so, again, I'm just rambling here to say that I think vision and and vestibular will be more appreciated in terms of development because again, all your if we restrip it all back, all we're trying to do is manipulate sensory input to the system to get some type of um, motor output. That's really what it is. It's, and it all comes back to the brain. It's all to do with the brain. Like, So that was our discussion we had with Joel Smith. Um, now that's super fascinating stuff, Jay. I mean, if you have anything else that you want to touch on or, or discuss or you know, if people want to reach out to you, where is the best thing, that they, the best place to go to c- continue some of this conversation? Best place to reach me is on Instagram. Uh, just my first and last name at Jason Fairheller. And I have a, a multi-directional plyos uh, video. It's on our website, functionandstrength.net slash videos, or you can just go to functionandstrength.net and kind of navigate through there and you'll be able to find it. Uh, anybody a- wants to email me? Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, you finish, Jaren, and then I'll ask. My email is jason at functionandstrength.com. I'll put that in the show notes for sure. Just something I, I do want to ask, actually, you, when you, when you say the word plyo, could you define that for us? Like what, what, does, what does plyometric mean to you? I know that might sound like a stupid question, but it's just, that, again, it's kind of one of those terms where it means so many things to different people. So, I mean, true plyometrics involving like a stretch shortening cycle is what, like 0.2 seconds or, or less or something like that on the ground. And I totally understand that by doing unilateral plyometrics, as I term them, isn't a true plyometric. But I think the, the real thing to think about is the intent of every drill that you're going to do. Mm. If I have someone and their intent is always minimize time on the ground while maximizing force, I'm still going to improve that quality over time. Yeah, big time, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just something I want to say to the listeners too. Um, I did mention Verkashansky's dynamic correspondence. And some people are like, what the fuck is that? So if you go to super training for the people that have that, it's in there. But it's it's basically five criteria that Verkashansky came out with to help choose the most appropriate exercises to potentially get the biggest transfer. And the five, do you, do you know the five criteria? I don't. <laughs> no, it's been a while since I looked at a book. I have super training. I haven't, I, I've read it, but it's probably been eight or nine years since I've, I read it. Yeah. Very poorly referenced. There's actually, there's in-text references in that and you go to the back of the book and they're not there. I'm just like, and this is meant to be the Bible. But um, no, the five criteria, the first one is that, so when choosing an exercise, he's like, these are five criteria that can guide your exercise selection to, to potentially have the biggest transfer to the actual sport-specific skill of the athlete. So the first one was the direction and amplitude of the movement. 
And the next one is the accentuated uh, region of force development. Then the third criteria was the dynamics of the effort. The fourth is the rate of force development of the exercise. And then the last one was the muscular regime. So concentric, eccentric, isometric. So they're the, the five ones. But they're in, they're out, they're mapped out there in super training. And um, for some reason, I always love the three Bs though, biomechanics, biomotors, and bioenergetics. I always love saying that one as well. When you're thinking about like, you know, training biomechanics, biomotor abilities, bioenergetics. But uh, now transfer training is, is definitely a, a very fascinating conversation. Um, and I'm, at the end of the day, it's about performance in the field. But listen, I, I really do appreciate your thoughts on this concept of multidirectional plyos slash power development. And you give us a great overview there. And sure, for the listeners, they can reach out to you on those resources you gave. And I'll link them in the show notes. Um, I suppose I'll ask a few. We've got three minutes. I suppose I'll ask one or two little fire around questions. Five people to dinner. You probably heard me ask this for dead or alive. Who would you? Oh, he, he shuffled in his seat. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. He's sad, I, he's sad I, I've about listened, this. I've listened to this podcast so many times, and I always thought uh, if I ever get on, I'm going to totally prepare for this answer, and I didn't. And he fucking did. <laughs> Do you have any anyone in particular? And listen, I always say to people like, if you really can't think of anyone, like you could think about it and send it to me later. But is there any? So I, 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 I would say like I'm always fascinated by people that are experts at whatever they do and they totally do it better than everyone else Mm. and i know a lot of them probably all have the same qualities and you know wayne gretzky is probably the first one that comes to mind because if you look at someone who really didn't have the physical tools that a lot of other people had but totally dominated his sport just having hearing him break down how he did stuff would be fascinating yeah yeah definitely anyone else or is that just it for now that's just it for now (laughs) (laughs) now gretzky gretzky be very very good uh listen really do appreciate everything that you're doing and i really do appreciate your time and listen let's hop on again at some time in the future when we can trash around some more thoughts and maybe somebody will get something out of it um also one very last question i should ask because it's one i always do ask and it's a selfish one for me what are you currently reading and what is your top book to give away so what's your current your current reading um i just got franz bosch's second book anatomy of Agility. agility oh very nice really interesting stuff and i'll say like one thing in there and and of course like once you see it you're like course when people change direction look at the the level of their head position their head position goes up and down it seems so simple but just watch when they link skills together and watch the their eye level Mm. specifically when they do that and that will tell you a lot as far as how the person is performing the movement yeah i would have got that from lee initially lee taff like you know he's kind of stay in the tunnel yes. you. you know i i've heard that even even i've heard the phrase stay in the tunnel but it was just like i don't know why that that, that totally like put it together for me yeah no it's funny yeah like, it's funny you say that yeah 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 i i, I resonate with what you're saying and that it's kind of like i knew this but that just like consolidated in a way better it just resonated the way fran said it resonated better than what you heard previously yeah i would see that too like if you see a lot of vertical motion that something is going on and then it's kind of like is it a capacity issue or is it a um is it a skill issue or could it be a mechanical issue too like is it that like their ankle dorsiflexion's off is it that they're not strong enough or is it that they just don't understand the execution of skill so like is it mechanical is it skill or is it a capacity it's kind of diagnosed then john sort of way that's why i always used to i always used to have an issue with like those coaches who say the warm-up is the movement screen and i'm like that's <laughs> but that's bollocks because you're like okay like all that's telling me is an athlete can't do a movement but you don't know why and you hear all these coaches going see they've got tight hip flexors and it's just like you laid them on a table thomas says no that hip flexor is fine yep <laughs> so it used to drive me bananas that did anyway Anyway, listen, we'll wrap this up and I'll say goodbye to you offline. But for everyone listening, as always, appreciate your earbuds. And until next time, take care, be well, and stay strong. Bye.